We've all been there, scrolling through social media, coming across those Instagram-worthy photos of our friends with their perfect relationships, perfect kids, perfect jobs, flawless makeup, perfect lives. And in the meanwhile, in the background at our place, our kids are in the process of blowing up our backyard. We just got into an argument with our spouse the night before. Perhaps we've procrastinated on life and we're behind on quite a few things. You know, here's looking at you, laundry, dishes. Or maybe the image we see in the mirror is not exactly what we would call model worthy. Perhaps we're behind on homework. We're struggling to put food on the table. Or maybe we're still waiting to see if a Mr. or a Mrs. Wright even exists. In this moment, we begin to compare. In comparison to all those videos, posts, and stories that we see on our social media feeds, our life looks pretty chaotic, monotonous, and uneventful. Self-comparison can be a strong influence on human behavior, and because people tend to display the most positive aspects of their lives on social media, it is possible for an individual to believe that their own life compares negatively to what they see presented by others. In some ways, Facebook has become fake book because we as humans so often only share our good moments. And so the issue then arises that as we're scrolling through our social media pages, we'll see these mountaintop moments shared by our friends while we're currently experiencing a valley. And so we begin to compare our valleys to their mountaintops, not always realizing that maybe they had to walk through valleys to get to those mountaintops, and maybe they're still struggling in areas that we do not see. As humans, we tend to define worth by what we see as worthy. And oftentimes this is affected by what the culture around us sees as worthy, what the culture sees as successful, what the culture sees as beautiful. And as we start to believe what the culture states, we begin to believe the lies that come with that. When you don't match up to this idealized vision of perfection, this box that does not exist, the lies will start to pour in. You are not capable enough. You are not beautiful enough. You are not talented enough. You are not good enough. You're not worthy enough. You are a failure. All of these are lies. But the moment that we give these lies authority and we not just hear them in our mind and rebuke them, but we begin to ponder these lies. We begin to believe these lies and to even repeat them out loud to ourselves. They begin to spread like a cancer, not just mentally, but emotionally, even physically wreaking havoc in our physical body and also our spiritual walk with our Father. What begins to happen is we find ourselves entrapped in depression, feelings of worthlessness, feelings of failure. 
We might experience jealousy and bitterness towards those who we've compared ourselves to, even hatred towards them or hatred towards ourselves, perhaps even hatred or anger towards God. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And what that means is that when you speak something out, there is power in your words. Death or life. When God spoke creation into existence, when he said, let there be light, there was light. When he separated the darkness from the light, the different levels of the firmaments, the sky, the heavens, the waters below, he spoke it into existence. When a lie comes to your mind, you have the opportunity to speak that lie into existence, to believe and to give authority to that lie or to rebuke it like Yeshua did in the wilderness. Even Yeshua had the enemies speak to him as well. Go jump off a cliff. Go turn that stone into bread. But Yeshua rebuked that lie with scripture, for it is written. So when we give these lies authority in our lives, they can begin to spread like a cancer throughout everything we do, the way we see ourselves, the way we see others, the way we even see God. And it becomes this cancer of comparison. We have the biblical example of Hannah in the Bible, who was one of the wives of the man Elkanah. Now, Hannah was barren. She could not have children. The other wife, on the other hand, could. Now, this was an example where Hannah could have allowed jealousy, bitterness, even hatred grow in her heart. This cancer of comparison and feeling of worthlessness destroy her, but instead, while we don't see every dark moment that Hannah went through, she made a choice and she did something radical. She went to the temple. She fell on her face before the Lord and poured out her heart to him. You know, oftentimes as humans, we tend to see differences, lack of abilities, struggles, weaknesses as failures. But God sees them as opportunities opportunities to work through us when we allow him to do so. She went to the Father. She poured out her heart to him. And God, in that moment, answered her prayer and worked through her. And in this case, he worked through her in the shape of a son by the name of Samuel, who would later be the son that would anoint the future king of Israel, David, and who would then bring about in his kingly line, the Messiah, Yeshua. All because Hannah chose to rather, instead of choosing hatred, comparison, bitterness and jealousy, to go to the Father and say, Father, you know the desires of my heart. You know the struggles that I've gone through. You know the pain I am in. You know the lack of ability that I have. But God used me. Father, you know the desires of my heart. Use me. I am your vessel. Use me. And God did. We also have the biblical example of the Apostle Paul. Now, we probably think of him as this powerful preacher of the gospel, which he is. But we tend to think so based on the letters that he wrote. In actuality, it seems that his personal appearance and his his speaking skills could be defined differently. 
In 2 Corinthians 10.10, he is described by others as such. But his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. Paul could have compared himself to others and said, you know what, I'm not good enough to do this, to go out and preach the gospel. We don't know what the scripture means when it says his bodily appearance was weak and his speech was of no account, but it could be that he was not the strongest orator, the most charismatic speaker, and his personal physical appearance could have been normal, right? <laughs> and those weaknesses, right, could have been enough that Paul looked to others and then looked at himself and said, I'm not good enough. I can't preach this thing. But of course, we know Paul did not do that. <laughs> Paul said, you know what? Okay, so maybe I have this thing, but who cares? He went to the Father and said, God, I want to be used by you. And I will do your work no matter what it takes and no matter what it looks like. Everyone has their fortes, the things that they're a little bit better in. For Paul, we know that he was an excellent writer and communicator of the gospel through written text. But yet he also could speak and preach the gospel through his words. We know he went and spoke before kings. We all have our weaknesses, but it's time that we start being like Paul and say, so what? After all, as scripture says, it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not by might, by power, by our own talents, our own skills, our own physical appearance, or if our makeup is on fleek, or whatever the words used today. It's not about any of that. Have you made yourself a willing vessel? Father, use me. Here I am. With all my mess, with me as I am, but God, use me for your purposes. A perfect example of this is the incredible speaker and evangelist, Nick Vujicic, who was born without arms and without legs. He could have spent his life comparing himself to others and allowing that comparison, that cancer of comparison, to destroy him. But instead, while we don't know the dark moments that he walked through, he made a decision. He made a decision to say, Father, use me as your vessel. Use me as I am with all my weaknesses, with all my lack of abilities that the world says is a lack of ability, but you see God as an opportunity. And that's what God has done through Nick. He is now reaching millions around the world with the gospel, with truth and with life, because instead of being held back by what the world would call a weakness, but what God calls a strength, because he went to the Father, like Hannah, and said, God, use me. Work through me for your divine purposes, Father. Because as Paul writes, in our weakness, he is strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In the end, 
We all have our own weaknesses or, or struggles or things that make us different. But it's time we stop looking at what the world says we are or the world says we should have or should be. And we start seeing who God says we are as his child, as worthy, as called, created unique for a purpose to reach others with his love and with his truth. And this can happen when we ask the Father, when we see certain things in our lives that we don't like, and if it's something we can change, God help me to work in this area, right? To grow in this area. And some things we can't change, like Nick could not change the way he was born. But Father, use me, use this weakness, you can say, as Paul described, weakness. Use this for your glory. God, make this an opportunity for you. Father, I choose to be a willing vessel for your use. Stop looking around at what everyone else is doing. Stop comparing them and where they are, their mountaintops to your valleys. You know, when you're running a race, when you're running a marathon, you're not looking to the side, to the left or to the right at the people beside you because if you do that, you will not win the race. You'll be distracted. What you do is you focus straight ahead on the finish line. You focus on the goal of why you're running that race. And as Paul describes, the goal is Yeshua. Run towards Yeshua, focus only on him. Earlier today, I took a step out onto our back porch, which overlooks like a forest, lots of trees. And as I was just there praying, standing outside with the breeze blowing, a little bit of rain falling, a light sprinkle, just looking at the trees, I heard the Father's voice speak to me that in many ways we are like trees. We're like that forest in my backyard. There are trees of different heights, different sizes, different purposes and different callings. The tall, magnificent pine trees, but then also the short, squatty, humble fruit trees, the apple trees. There will be people who will attain different heights than we might ever reach in our life. And that's okay. But remember, you might be that humble, squatty apple tree and you might be looking up at that pine tree and going, wow, I wish I could get as tall as that. I wish I could achieve all of the things that they've achieved, to climb the ladder, to, to do all the things and be as successful as they seem to be. But in the meanwhile, you're the one producing apples. They're not. In fact, they might not be producing any fruit at all. Focus rather on the calling that you have been given. Be an apple tree, be fruitful in what God has given you. In the last chapter of the book of John, we have Yeshua talking to Peter. And we know Peter had previously denied the Lord three times. No, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. And so Yeshua has now arisen. He's met with Peter. And Yeshua is now coming to Peter and saying, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, Lord, you know I do. Yeshua's like, okay. Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yes. Yes, you know I do. Yeshua's like, but do you love me? Peter's like, you, you know I do. You, you know I do. 
You know I do. Yeshua was like, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my flock. And then Yeshua gives a short description of what will happen at the end of Peter's life. And he ends it with, follow me. Now as Yeshua is speaking to Peter, the beloved disciple is not far behind. So Peter kind of looks back and he's like, you know, I'm sure he's feeling kind of perturbed and even self-conscious about this interrogation that Yeshua just had with him. And so he asks Yeshua, what about that guy? What, what about that man? What about him? And Yeshua says to Peter, if he were to remain until I come, if he were to achieve the success that you've always wanted to reach, if he were to climb the ladder to, to be everything you wished you could be, if he were to, what is that to you? What is that to you? You follow me.